Hi, welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. You want to know our Big Self formula? Here it is. Big ideas plus true self equals big self. What do we mean by that? Being a leader, being really good at anything, but especially in your professional life, means being in complete command of yourself. Start with you, yourself. That's where the self part of big self comes in. It all starts with self-awareness, your ability to handle stress, understand your blind spots, be less reactive. But we also want to go somewhere from there. What do you do with all that inner knowledge? We want you to play big in your life. And that means good boundaries, having confidence, purpose, and clear direction. We focus on helping you make breakthroughs with all that self-knowledge and purpose. I am an educational psychologist, a licensed therapist, angel investor, TEDx speaker, and leadership coach. And I am an author, publisher, a doctor of creativity and writing, and an Enneagram certified practitioner. And it is our mission to bring you the most relevant and transformational resources we can find. And we give you practical, specific takeaways on topics that everyone might be talking about. But few are diving into in quite the same way. Be sure and stay tuned to the end where we give our brand new segment, The Big Self Takeaway. Today, we speak with a boots-on-the-ground guy. Remington Curtis is a fan of the podcast and reached out to see if he could join us on the show. We love to hear from our listeners, and we love hearing from not only thought leaders, influencers, and authors, but also the coaches doing the work themselves. Remington is a person, some might say, had the dream job. He spent the first 10 years of his career on Wall Street, researching companies as an equity analyst initially, and later a client relationship manager, and ultimately a wealth advisor. But by the summer of 2012, he pivoted. He left Wall Street to go and run a small healthcare company as their CIO for about six years before pivoting again to advocate on behalf of the private sector as the business liaison director at the U.S. Department of Commerce. You could say it's been quite a journey, as now, some nine years since he left his Wall Street job, he settled into a role helping leaders be better, more effective versions of themselves, and helping them be the leader they wish they had when they were coming up in their career. So how did that last pivot happen into coaching from the the Department of Commerce? Um, yeah, I'm curious. And I'm also like how that shifted and then the through line, like as you look back on your career and all those hats you were wearing, a lot of finance, um, like what was what was underneath the surface that was happening all along that pulled you into the current work you're doing? You know, I will say that I struggled with my decision uh, to leave Wall Street. Uh, there were certainly parts of me uh, that wanted to stay. Uh, it felt uh, prestigious, frankly. Um, it, I, it was a part, uh, I believe, that I was, uh, you know, conditioned and trained for, um, and a part that I was, you know, perhaps destined to play. Um, and, and, you know, I'll say, having said that, I will also say, while I might have appeared uh, pulled together and polished, you know, on the outside, um, inside, I, you know, I was very unhappy. Um, and unsettled. 
Um, I was asking myself, you know, questions like, is this all there is? Mm. Really, uh, you know, disconnected, I'd say, fr- from myself, um, from my heart, from, from my intuition, uh, suppressing parts of myself. And, and, you know, I wouldn't have used any of that language back then. All I know is that uh, I felt stifled. Um, I felt uh, stuck. Uh, and I felt frustrated. You know, long story short, um, I grinned and bear it. I grinned and bared it mm-hmm. until I couldn't anymore. And I, you know, committed to going off uh, in a different direction to find a better way. Does that tend to be the folks that you coach now have kind of lived that path as well and looking for some support or ways out? Not, not everybody perhaps need to, needs to make as big a change or as many changes perhaps that I, that I did. Not, not everybody is in the wrong seat or the wrong profession. Uh, some people are in the right seat, in the right profession, but they're just unhappy in that seat. Um, and it's a question of trying to determine why um, and helping them to, you know, I'd say show up with less stress, more confidence, more ease uh, in, in the seat they, they currently have. So I asked Remington about what it was like taking that first big leap from Wall Street to a completely different industry and exercising a different muscle with going into an operations role. Short of the work I'm doing currently, um, I, I've never been more uh, engaged or involved than I was during those six years. The lessons I learned and the challenges I overcame helping to run and grow a small business um, was helped me well in my own uh, journey of self-discovery and growth. Um, I, I will say, while there were a lot of different muscles, uh, m- uh, much like going to the dr- gym or, or you know, meditating and, and kind of training the mind, you know, these are muscles that I uh, enjoyed um, and/or challenging. And what I did learn is that, you know, whether it's kind of strategy, big picture, you know, or operations, kind of detail and execution, um, I'm actually very comfortable in both areas. Mm-hmm. And I've, I find that's, um, you know, something that makes me different. Uh, you know, this is the training I needed and wanted mm. uh, to be able to walk alongside the, and help the leaders that I, you know, I, I do today. Um, I've learned, uh, I've worked with a, a great many different leaders um, and learned a lot uh, from them and their leadership styles, uh, both what makes a great leader and also what's, what gets in the way of uh, being ex- exceptional. That rich, yeah. rich background of experience, I think, uh, in in actuality, but also in perception, a client perception of like, oh, you've been there, you've done that, you get it, <laughs> I think is really valuable. Um, so I do want to talk about your coaching work and the leaders that you're working with. Um, a couple questions, I guess I have. If you have uh, an approach that you take that tends to um, attract certain types of leaders, which I think you're maybe alluding to a little bit. And are there specific struggles that you're, you're seeing, um, especially right now, I think with all that's industry agnostic, like the whole world, I think is um, in a pressure cooker right now, especially leaders. So if you could just share a little bit about any like the approach you take and then specifically what kind of issues are you seeing surface right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I mirror back um, my clients' blind spots. 
and offer a sounding board uh, to kind of help them create the life they want rather than feel like it's being chosen for them. Uh, in terms of uh, leaders and some of the challenges that come up again and again, generally speaking, I think when we as leaders panic or wish to uh, tell other people what to do or, yeah. or uh, fix uh, tends to go up because, you know, we've sort of been trained to, to believe that that helps to relieve or reduce our, our suffering. And so I think earlier on in, in, uh, my client's careers, you know, they've, they, they adopted a, uh, sort of white knuckling, uh, brute force kind of push, push, pushing approach. Um, and they believed that their, um, job was to have all the answers all the time and tell other people what to do. Remington sees how for leaders that this approach was something that came naturally to them. It was something that allowed them to rise up to the ranks and take their seats as the boss. But your role shifts when you become a manager or leader. It's okay to not know what to do all the time. Your job is to stay present. And as we often remind our big self listeners, to manage yourself first. Tune in to the team that you've carefully crafted around you and seek input from them and empower them to move forward and help address the challenges at hand rather than feeling like you have to bear it all, all on your own. But a lot of this is easier said than done, right? So we asked Remington about the carefully crafted team that a leader needs to put around and what does a healthy company culture really look like? And I think a healthy culture, you know, ultimately comes down to employees that are self-aware, mm. that are in control of themselves and attuned to those people around them and using all of that to have better, more effective relationships. And I think, um, you know, having said that, you know, uh, for the senior leaders, um, you know, I, I do think, you know, there's a role to play. I do think it's about leading by example. You know, I do think it's about, you know, using the leadership challenges that come up to complete their own process of kind of self-discovery and, and growth and w which uh, is both beneficial for them, but also sends the signal to uh, those around them that it's okay to do the same. Well, do you think that, so I just, may I just a ask this as well as a follow-up then? It's like, yes, I totally agree that self-awareness um, would be wonderful to see more of in the workplace, but maybe like in these leaders who are in these positions of authority and they want some answers and they're feeling the intensity and the stress and they're like, yeah, self-awareness, that is a process, right? So are there, do you, I mean, it is, it's a long-term process. Is Are there do you find that there are short-term gains as well if they begin to enter this process of, hey, from the top down, this is good for me. I'm going to do some self-awareness and try to create a better atmosphere in my, in my company culture. I, I do also think uh, the quality of your presence, um, managing your energy, mm -hmm. you know, and being very intentional with your, with your goals and your time are, are hugely beneficial and consequential as well. Um, and again, get back, you know, assist in helping one engage with more, um, you know, confidence and ease and, and have greater impact. You know, I, I do think getting back to what you just said uh, a minute ago about this does seem easier said than done. And it, and it appears to be a recurring 
theme, you know, I, I think part of that has to do with the um, sort of the bottoms up approach that's typically taken where, you know, it, it leaves the leader, you know, kind of alone at the top mm-hmm. with kind of um, unimaginable kind of stress and pressures with everyone else kind of standing by and watching and looking on. Um, and, and again, ultimately, you know, until those leaders, you know, who hold the influence and the power um, make those changes, you know, I think it, it'll be more challenging for, for others to do so. Totally um, agree. Yeah, I, um, I did, you know, cu- culture work, I'll just call it that, mm-hmm. for a long time. And it felt like a behemoth. It felt like this huge ship that we couldn't turn around because it was <laughs> systems are hard. Systems work is really, really tough work. And so in doing that, I, you know, I watched leadership and I watched, you know, I, I, that became my focus. So exactly what you're saying, like really um, fine tuning and focusing on that, the leadership potential and embodiment of presence and calm and composure and, you know, all, and that's all the birth of big self school. It's kind of what we want to do and teach and talk about. Um, so I'm curious this though, I'm going to ask this and you, you and I, and Chad, we all share a love of Jerry Colina. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on our podcast also. And I asked him this too, cause I, I think that it's really, it's a fair question about, you know, coming from the finance um, industry, coming from an operations role, you know, and I came from, and both of us really startups. So it was in tech startups and there's this kind of inherent um, value system that I think opposes a lot of what we all are teaching and talking about. So I'm, as you were sharing yeah. kind of the coaching work you're doing, and I'm, I'm getting to my point here, <laughs> like how are, are clients, is there a breaking point that has to happen hmm. for them to be open to walking through the process that you're offering or is it something that, um, I don't know the word I'm, th- the, the, the idea, but that you have to kind of deliver to them in a, in a palatable way so that, so that they're open to it. Like I'm wondering about that push pull with clients, um, and how ready they are for taking the journey that you're, you're willing to go on with them. And because for a lot of people, it's considered kind of weakness. Right. It's just seen as weakness. Maybe it's their blind spot, but yeah. Could you, could you speak to that rim? You know, there are certainly leaders that I come across who believe that expressing your emotions and empathy um, are a sign of weakness and get in the way of them being effective leaders. Those that are looking for a coach might be um, interested to hear that, uh, in fact, the opposite uh, is true. Research shows that um, employees actually um, see and feel weakness uh, when they don't see emotion. And it's actually by Mm. expressing your emotions and doing so more fully um, that your ability to connect uh, and your impact is greater. Um, So I think, you know, I think that's that's important something else that, that came up, Shelley, because you were talking about some of the values 
uh, on Wall Street that seem at odds with what we're talking about. While I've worked with uh, and had so many amazing leaders over the years, uh, so much so that, you know, whenever I've stepped into an unhealthy, you know, culture, it's been, you know, painfully clear to me kind of night and day. And, you know, I will say that there are leaders um, that I come up against um, and have seen over the years that engage in, in what I call this sort of, you know, bully and blame um, style of leadership. You know, they say things like, you know, I've got to stay on top of these people um, or they're going to slack off or, you know, kind of making my numbers is all that matters to me. And, you know, nothing and no one is going to get in my way. And, you know, it looks like a lot of, you know, kind of micromanaging and controlling and, and you know, they get kind of get caught up in kind of what's wrong, what's broken and, and who's to blame. And, and I think. While there are some short-term benefits to to that sort of approach, you can get a lot done, um, you know, kind of with force, kind of overcoming, you know, challenges and obstacles. You know, it comes at a long-term cost, you know, because, you know, the, the ultimate result is burnout. You know, it, it is your employees becoming um, dissatisfied, disengaged and unproductive, you know, and your relationships and your reputation suffer as a result. Not to mention, you know, your team begins to model the unhealthy behavior and it begins to kind of ripple through the organization. So whether or not the leader is aware of the impact they're having or the approach they're taking, others in the organization uh, certainly um, will know it and feel it. And I think um, learning to upgrade your leadership style um, to a more emotionally intelligent one, you know, these days more than ever, more than ever, you know, are, are, is a beneficial approach, not just to um, uh, those around them, but the, really the leader um, himself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I, a lot of the coaching I'm doing is, um, Kind of what I would middle management, kind of that mid tier leadership position, where they all there are a lot of them are in these environments of kind of toxic, the the C suite just kind of. And I honestly, I think if we're honest, there's a lot of organizations and corporations that st- that believe that that management style is the best. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, the whole idea of um, managing up and like, how do you create kind of this safe haven of space inside a pretty um, toxic culture? Uh, and so that's a challenge. I mean, that's just a real life challenge for a lot yeah. of leaders who want to be emotionally intelligent and self-manage and and yet they're in this environment. And I think that's where a lot of this burnout and stress kind of, I don't have control of my own environment. Um, so that I'd be curious kind of what your thoughts are around there, around that as well. It can be challenging for the leader, but ultimately, it, you know, it, there's a lot of bang for your buck there. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a lot of ease, confidence, and impact that's created when you have a better sense of why you're thinking what you're thinking, why you're feeling, you know, why you're feeling what you're feeling and how you're acting the way you are when challenges present themselves and when you encounter stress. So we asked Remington 
What he thought about this idea of managing your expectations. Another thing you hear a lot of cliches around is just lower your expectations, right? All these bloggers. Easy as one, two, three. But one of the hard parts about that is what do you choose to let go of? And isn't lowering your expectations basically tantamount to admitting failure? I don't really think it's, for me, I don't think it's about um, managing your expectations. It's not about lowering your expectations or coasting or settling or anything like that. I feel like the people that I, some of the people I admired most on Wall Street were the most difficult to please. They had the highest standards. And in my opinion, it's about, again, managing your thoughts and, um, you know, uh, regulating your emotions in an effort to be able to meet those lofty expectations. And again, it does get back to, I believe, um, generally speaking, uh, about the quality of your presence, about managing your energy, about being intentional with your goals um, and your time. Um, I, I think all of these uh, are skills that can be learned. Um, and I do believe that they are uh, pay huge dividends as relates to engaging better you know, at work and at home. Yeah, I, so I'm thinking about this idea of expectations and I'm remembering an article I re read about, um, in, around burnout. And I, he, he's an, actually a scholar who studies burnout and stress. Um, and he talked about the idea of permissibility versus possibility. And then you know, went to talk about like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should kind of idea. Everything's permissible, but is it possible? Is it something that's in your um, capacity? And so this idea of expectations and boundaries and kind of, you know, for me, the, the challenge for me has been one, admitting I have limits. Yeah. Yeah. And then two, living them like understanding my own limitations and my own capacity. And I will say the, the more um, honest I get with myself about my expectations, because for me, like I never would meet the goal line. I'm, I will always push that expectation. So it's for me, when I think of expectations, it's less about my standards and more about my inability to just be satisfied. And so I keep pushing and keep pushing. And, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's something to that. And I do that with every area of my life, mm -hmm. work, parenting, marriage, friends, like, like this unhealthy belief in my own, like un unlimitedness. <laughs> so I've really made peace with this idea of expectation. And so I don't, I don't know that I have a question around that, but just, you know, as you were sharing, that was what I was reminded of and came up for me. But how do you lead with empathy and understanding and maintain high standards at the same time? It's about, it's about motivating and inspiring rather than commanding and controlling. Mm -hmm. you know, it's about understanding compassion rather than fear and intimidation. You know, a good leader, a great leader knows or, or can be firm when he needs to be, but generally and genuinely, 
he's caring. You know he has your back. He knows you, you know he has your best interest at heart. He's looking out for you. You feel like you matter, that you're safe, and that you belong. I think you can be clear with expectations and hold people accountable and, and do so humanely mm-hmm. and kindly. So a lot about empathy. I, I do think there, you know, it gets back to this um, when panicked, our wish to tell other people what to do and or fix goes up. And I do believe this whole idea of, you know, great leaders ask great questions, but listen even better is an important point. Learning not to fix is a great step in, in getting better at listening. Um, being curious, asking questions, trying to put yourself in, you know, an employee's uh, seat or shoes, acknowledging, validating, um, you know, thanking them from co- for coming to you with the challenge, asking how you might, um, you know, help them going forward. You know, I, I think these are important um, practices and steps when a team, when a, an employee or team member comes to you with a challenge. And I, again, I, I, I'm not trying to suggest that they're not challenging. And they're not difficult. I mean, you know, we are wired to fix. We are wired to see problems and um, provide solutions. You know, given our demanding schedules and uh, time constraints and long to-do lists, you know, it can feel very um, expedient to rush in, you know, address, fix, uh, you know, an employee's, you know, problem. So you can kind of get back on with your work. But again, that's really more about you uh, and less about them. I love what you're saying. And it's, and yet it's so counterintuitive. Yes. I think to even people that get, quote, get it, they're bought in. They're like, yes, I'm going to, it's about my people. It's not about me, but in practice, oh my gosh, it's so hard. And it, you're, and I do talk about that's not efficient. And I tell people empathy is one of the most inefficient things you can do (laughs) (laughs) and work at work, but it is one of the most essential, if not the most. And what I, I tell a lot of the clients I coach, the higher up you get, the more time you need to be introspecting because if you're getting inputs all the time mm-hmm. and not giving yourself space to assimilate and kind of locate yourself, you know, capital S self, then you are not going to be the presence in the energy that you need to be for other people. And yet that's so counterintuitive. I think people, the higher I get, the more I need to be doing and deciding and executing and delegating. And so I think that 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 kind of energetic shift to get people to not just intellectually understand that, but to embody that is really tricky, I think, for a lot of leaders to make that that leap. Would you agree, Rim? I couldn't agree more. And I think you said it beautifully. And I do think it gets back to this kind of short-term, long-term trade-off. You know, the inclination, the wish is the, you know, the quick fix, uh, what's most expedient and what you're suggesting, um, you know, maybe less efficient in the short term, but is, you know, leaps and bounds, uh, more impactful over the long term. not to mention just, you know, again, kinder, mm-hmm. more decent, you know, more humane. I'm curious what, so if someone's listening, who's, kind of waking up a little bit to 
a leadership style that they want to grow into. Um, so they're maybe hearing what we're talking about and, you know, nodding and wanting to do the work. What would be maybe like the first step that you would suggest? Um, and it can be something outer, but maybe even more inner work that you might, you might offer to them if they're really considering this. I would first, I would uh, acknowledge and, and congratulate them that, you know, they're listening to this podcast. They're listening <laughs> to this podcast and already taking those steps to better understand uh, themselves and the kind of leader they're hoping to become. Um, so that's a, a great first step. So listening to this podcast, or you mentioned, you know, Jerry Colonna, who's a, just a phenomenal uh, individual and a master coach, and he's got a podcast that's something else, you know. Um, reboot. So shout check out, it shout out. out to Reboot. We love Jerry. Exactly. would be, you know, uh, well advised to begin to listen to that one. You know, you've or you already said it, you know, Shelly, it's, you know, carving out, um, you know, pockets of time, uh, small pockets of time in your day to kind of make some space um, for reflection, for discovery, um, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a walk outside or a short journaling practice or, uh, you know, a quick conversation with, you know, a mentor or, you know, somebody, uh, you know, who you admire to begin to, uh, you know, verbalize and vocalize some of what you're, you know, beginning to see about your leadership and, and some of the wishes and again, intentions that you have about, um, the kind of leader that you're working to be are all, you know, a great, you know, first steps. And again, it doesn't have to be all in all at once. You know, I think it's really, you know, baby steps and, you know, dipping a toe in and doing it when you can. While again, I recognize that kind of, you know, being self-critical and beating up on ourselves, you know, is, does feel more natural, you know, and does yeah. feel easier. Um, but again, we just, just noting, noticing that and noting that is again, a great first step. That awareness is a, just a phenomenal first step. Um, even if you don't necessarily do anything with that, um, but just beginning to notice some of these impulses, some of these reactions throughout your day. Um, so you can begin to ask yourself, like, is this helpful, mm-hmm. you know, is it helpful to me and how I want to show up and be with myself and with others. Yeah. So I think these, uh, while perhaps might m- maybe not seamless, um, or easy, uh, you know, are productive, impactful steps that we can take to begin to, you know, become more of the leader that we're working to, mm. to become. I love it. Aspirational with a lot of practical takeaways. Uh, Remington Curtis, thank you for spending your time with us. Yeah. And I I just want to mirror back your presence. Like there is a calmness. Um, I really, really appreciate your thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. um, and how you kind of sit with questions and really, I think, dig into yourself for the answer that you want to give and how you want to show up. And so um, I've, I received that and I thank you for being that today. Well, that's, that's a high compliment. I really do appreciate it. It, it, it does feel good, but I'll just say that you guys, uh, you know, you made it very easy, uh, very fun. Um, and I'm just, you know, grateful for the time and, and the opportunity. Yeah, Thank likewise. you. And everyone knows where to find I, you. It's remingtoncurtis.com. Okay. You're all over the place. Uh, we'll put, we'll put some, some links to your articles in our show notes as well. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just REM coaching. Oh, REM coaching. coaching. I'm sorry. Yes, and uh, at REM coaching on uh, Instagram. Um, but yes, Remington Curtis on LinkedIn would be the uh, okay. And that's that's REM with two M's. Here is the big self takeaway. There's an inherent value system in certain industries that oppose the values that we're talking about here. We understand that we should be more self-aware, but most people who really aren't self-aware already believe they are self-aware, and they tend to think that all this talk about managing your emotions is at best a waste of time and probably really just weakness. Here, we've heard straight from a source who spent the first decade of his career on Wall Street and another six years as an operations executive for a healthcare startup. You can lead from the top by listening to others, by expressing empathy for others, and leading by example. Too often, we see the reactivity and white-knuckling approach that Remington is talking about on today's episode. We all acknowledge that developing self-awareness, which is at the heart of growing your emotional intelligence, is easier said than done. It can be messy at times. It can be hard to admit our blind spots and our failures. But at the end of the day, you can learn to listen. Do the research yourself and see how it supports these ideas of inspiring and motivating rather than commanding and controlling. And as Jenny Brown, author of Growing Yourself Up, writes, this process of being mature in an anxious organization has been likened to learning to sail against the wind. And as any sailor will tell you, this requires concentration and tolerating some tension as the wind pressures the vessel to let it take over the controls. Good skippers know how to tolerate sufficient tension to keep a steady course. They don't try to overpower the vessel with too much sail in order to get to the finish line faster, as they know this will inevitably knock them backwards. They also know not to panic and retreat to the safe harbor of familiarity. They focus on their key tasks of setting the course and letting the crew know their intentions so that each person can get on with focusing on their tasks. There's only one path to growing this ability through patient, thoughtful perseverance in the midst of experience. No shortcuts to be found.